Good morning to you. I greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the Living God. There's many people who say Jesus is not God. Jesus is not the Son of God. There's a lot of dispute about that. But I'm going to share with you my experience with Jesus and about Jesus. I'm not saying you are wrong, but listen to my testimony and then you do the math. Because they say that a man with an experience, hallelujah, will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument. If I experience something, no matter how much another person may argue with me and say it's not so, but I experienced it. If I burn my hand by the stove that moment and say to the person, don't touch it, it's hot, it will burn you. You can argue and say it's not hot, it's not hot, but I experienced the burn. And so I experienced the love of Jesus and the reality of God. First of all, I want to tell you that when I grew up, we never went to church. In our home, there was no prayer. We didn't pray for the food. We didn't pray before going to bed. We didn't pray in the morning. We never prayed in that house. There was no Bible in our house. We never went to church in our family. I grew up without a father, so there was no father to guide me. There, I had a mother, but my mother never went to church, never spoke about God. No one, not my grandfather, not my grandmother, not my uncles, nor my aunts spoke about God. No one went to church in our extended family either. So, as I grew up, I grew up with in, in, in different ways. Like any young young man and any young te teenager, I grew up going to clubs. I grew up doing uh, drugs, not not heavy drugs, but hashish, marijuana. Uh, and the, the way I got into that, I had a cold, and when I went to the shop, I met a friend. There he was a clerk in the office. In the municipal offices, uh, he was what we would call super colors. The colors that looked like whites, green eyes, and low maintenance hair. That I call them those people, they don't even have to comb their hair when they get up. I call that low maintenance hair. And he was like that, and, and he greeted me. He said, oh, yeah, I said, oh, I got this cold, he said. And he liked to stand by the, the corner shop and smoke this a reefer they call it, or slow boat, it's, it's like dacha turned into a cigarette. Different people call it different names. And he said, if you just take one puff of this, that coal will go away. And so I took one puff, and then I, after that I continued to, to smoke that, and that's how I got into that drugs. Then when I went to work, after work the friends would drink white, red wine. And I would start drinking red wine with them after work. 
Then I would indulge in gambling because they gambled at work. They gambled before we started work. We, we were work with the surveyors. And then we would go on the road. And before we went on the road, we would gamble. In the morning before work started, we would come in early. Tea time, we would gamble. 10 o'clock, 3 o'clock tea time, gamble. After work, we come uh, back to the office early. And we gamble again. Every day, we would gamble, gamble for money, cards, playing cards. For years. When it came to the end of the year, Christmas time, we would go onto the roof of the high-rise buildings, the building. We would gamble up there and drink up there. And that was my lifestyle. Weekends, I would go to the nightclubs, dancing. Even my, I went with my sister. We were friends, me and my sister. But at the nightclub, we split. She joined her group and I joined my group at the nightclub. And that was my, my lifestyle. Drinking, gambling, smoking dacha, all of that. No God, no church. But one day I met a friend, and but I was always like into, into fitness, always into fitness. I never played soccer, I never played rugby, I never played cricket. But I was always into, me and my family, into martial arts. Because my uncle was a boxer, so he teach me how to box. The other uncle did jujitsu. We do jujitsu there. All that kind of stuff, but nothing. All the militant stuff and fitness. We would do weightlifting and weight training and so forth. And then a friend came to me. He said, "Man." He, he joined an athletic club. Don't you want to join the athletic club too? I said, yes. And so when I joined the athletic club, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking, doing dacha, and I stopped all that stuff because I knew I won't have the stamina if I continue to smoke or drink or stuff like that. And then I had a coach also in the athletic club. club and then my, my, one day I got hurt somewhere I got hurt under under my the kneecap. <clears throat> I went to the coach's house and to get some ointment, they call it deep heat, to take away the pain there. And when I came from his uh, quarters where he lived, I met his brother-in-law and his brother, and they were believers. They were born-again Christians. And they spoke to me about God. For the first time I heard about God now, about born again, about being saved. And they invited me to, a, to a, a meeting. They call it a campaign. A campaign means they're having a service every night. And the, the purpose of the campaign was to tell people about the good news that Jesus died for us and he paid for our sins, that if we receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we would be saved from the judgment to come. It, that judgment is written in the book of Revelation, in the Christian Bible, in the book of Revelation chapter 20 from verse 11 to 15. You will read about the great white throne judgment where all people will appear before the judgment throne and the books will be opened and people will be judged according to their works. And another book will be opened, Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 where it says, and another book was opened 
the book of life. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where you cannot be consumed. Your body can be consumed on the earth, but your soul, which is eternal, will be tormented forever and ever. Okay, we won't go into that debate. There's people who, who debate that over and over and over. We're not going into that. But, like I said, the two brothers, the brother-in-law and the brother-in-law, his brother and the brother-in-law spoke to me and invited me to the church. So when I left, my friend was with me, the friend who invited me to the athletic club. And as we walked outside, I said to him, I'm not going to that church. I don't like church. I don't do church. I'm not interested in church. He said to me, man, I just, I was involved in an accident just a few weeks before that. I almost died. He said, man, let's go to the church just to say thank you to God for sparing your life that you didn't die in that accident. I said, okay. So I went, it was on a Sunday and I listened to the words. I can't remember the words. I listened to the words. Now, now you will say to me, you can't remember the words. I remember a man, he didn't want to go to church. I read a story about a man who didn't want to go to church anymore. And the pastor came to speak to him. He said, I don't want to go to church anymore, pastor, because I can't remember whatever they preach, those sermons. The pastor asked him, how long are you married? He said, I'm married for 13 years. The pastor asked him, how many meals did your wife make for you that you ate? He said, hundreds of meals. Do you remember all the meals you ate? He said, I can't. You can't remember what you ate over all the years, but it nourished your body. It strengthened you and kept you healthy. You see, that's what the Word of God, even if you can't remember the sermons, the moment you were listening to it and heard it, it did something to you spiritually. It encouraged you. It uplifted you. It brought healing to you. So let's get back to, to me being invited to the church. Like I said, my friend said, let's go to the church to say thank you to God for saving you, uh, your life, that you didn't die in that accident. And so I went to church, stood there, listened to the word. Like I said, I can't remember up to this moment what the words were, but there was a wonderful feeling there, a wonderful presence, which now I can describe as a glory or the presence of the Lord. And then I had this feeling in my heart. It was like something tugging at my heart, drawing me uh, to go to the front and give my heart to Jesus. And I said, no, tomorrow night I'm coming. Tomorrow night. So when tomorrow night came the Monday, I didn't go to the church. I went to the athletic track myself and my coach. And I had to do a 4 by 400. 400 meters. And the coach was standing there with a stopwatch timing me and I started to run. When I got to the other side of the track of where my coach was standing, immediately the presence of the Lord overwhelmed me and I stood still right there and the voice said, go to the church and give your heart to me. Go to the church and give your heart to me. I crossed the field and went to the coach. I said, I didn't tell him what happened. 
I said, I'm going home now. I went home, freshened up, put on a jacket, went to the church, listened to the word of God, went to the front and I gave my heart to Jesus. When I got home, I burnt everything related to that lifestyle, that, that bad lifestyle of drinking and smoking and clubbing and all that. I burnt everything related to that for three days. All the books and magazines and whatever I was into politics too. And then, and I used to read books about transcendental meditation too and all of that because I was a yippie. So if you a yippie, you into TM, transcendental meditation and all that stuff. Lobsang, Rampa and all that. And I burnt all that stuff for three days. And someone said, why don't you give the books and stuff to us? I said, no, it's not good for me. It's not good for you. So I just got one book, the Bible, and started to read the Bible from cover to cover. I entered a correspondence course in, in the newspaper. I saw there's a, I think, box, P.O. Box 77, Cape Town. And I entered my, and applied for this course. A correspondence course and every week I would receive a, a lesson through the post and I would do the Bible study course and fill in the answers and send it back and uh, that was a start then somebody came to uh, uh, the door a lady she came to look for my sister it was my sister's friend she had a book in her hand I said I how are you, are you okay and so forth she said what's that book can I have a look and I looked at the book, the title was Unsearchable Riches. That is a word also in the Bible, un the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I asked her if I could borrow the book. She said, yes. And I borrowed the book, read through it. And, I, and this man had cancer and God healed him. And now he's a, a fully fledged Christian. And he <clears throat> started to write daily meditations. And the book is, there's a meditation for every day. Now, Christian meditation versus, versus Eastern meditation is different. It's not the same, although it's the same word. When you meditate in the Eastern way, they meditate different. They think of a God or the God or, or the self or whatever. But when the Bible says, it says meditate on the word night and day. Meditate on the words in the Bible. It means to meditate on the word means to think about what God said. Is there a lesson in the scripture for me? Is there a warning? Is there something I must apply? Is there something I must avoid? That is what biblical meditation entails. And if you read uh, Joshua chapter 1 from verse 7 to 9, the Bible says that Moses, Moses led the people out of Egypt, Moses, and they calculated they made a calculation. It was about 3 million people that he led out of uh, Egypt. And he, now, in, to lead a, a group of people is very easy. But, but your metal is tested when there are disputes amongst the people that you are leading. When there's conflict, when it seems there's going to be separation and there's going to be a rebellion, then that situation will prove 
whether you are a true leader or not. So that's the challenge every leader faces. That's a challenge which parents face with their children, a challenge which a manager faces, a CEO, a, a supervisor, or, or the team leader of a soccer team or band or whatever when there's conflict. So Moses handed over the reins to a young man called Joshua. And Joshua now had to lead the people further to the promised land. And what was the advice that God gave Joshua? What should he do? God said, Joshua, meditate upon the word of God night and day and work according to what is written there and you will prosper in whatever you do. So it means he must think about what God has said. What did God say? What should I do? How should I go about leading the people? How should I deal with conflict? When should I move? Should I just lean on my own understanding? Should I just do my own thing? Or should I ask God where to now? Or ask God when should I move? And then Psalm 1 also speaks about meditating on the word. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who don't stand on the way of sinners, who don't walk in the counsel or take the advice of ungodly people, and who don't sit amongst the mockers. But his meditation is upon the word of God night and day. And he says that person who meditate the word of God night and day, the Bible says he will prosper in whatever he does. So there's three scriptures in the Bible that speaks about prosperity. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verse 1 to 13. You read about it. If you obey God, you will prosper in whatever you do, amongst other things. Because if you obey God, you are working with God. If you disobey God, you are working against God. If you obey God, you simplify your life. If you disobey God, you complicate your life. So those are the three scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Psalm 1, and Joshua chapter 1 from verse 7 to 9 speaks about prosperity, meditation. Yes. So we back here about uh, where the girl gave me the book. And like I said, I read through the book and in the foreword it said this man had cancer, God healed him. And he gave his heart to Jesus and he had a powerful relationship with God so much so that God would give him insight into the scriptures and he would expound the scriptures and he would write down his insights and then he put it in, in book form out there. A, a daily reading for every day. It means a scripture and then an explanation of what that scripture means. That was what the book was all about. But as I read the book, I, it seems like I could envision this man. Though I didn't see a picture of him, I didn't meet him. I could envision him and see this man walks down the road and he's friendly and smiling and everybody knows in the road that he's a Christian. He's greeting everybody as he walks down the road. And I said, God, I want to be a person like that. I want to be friendly with everyone because I used to be a very angry person. I used to be moody, sullen, never smile, never laugh, anything. My mother said, I don't understand you. You're always moody. You're always angry. What's going on with you? <laughs> like the mother said to the child, stop it. It's not Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I prayed to God and I said, God, please let me be friendly towards everyone. Greet everyone. And let everybody know that I'm a Christian. And that was my first vision I had. My vision or in this sense, my goal. That's a, then I read another book. Uh, the book's name was, his name was Messenger, Leon Messenger. And uh, in the book, it said that whenever he comes to a home, he would sing there about God and he would talk about God and say a prayer. And I said, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to go. When I come to different homes, I want to sing to the people a, a song about Jesus, about God, or uh, encourage people through a song and read scriptures to them and pray a prayer. And it happened. Then I read another book. The book's name was Escapes. And this book was about personal work. The way people spread the gospel is people like they will, like Billy Graham, they would preach a gospel on a stadium. Other people like Oral Roberts, they would preach a gospel way back in tents. Other people would stand on a corner on a field and they would preach a gospel there with, with mics and amplifiers. Other people would preach a gospel in halls. Other people would preach the gospel in houses, which they call cottage meetings. And other people would speak to people one-on-one, -on -one, which they call personal work. And now this book was about personal work. The book's name was Escapes. And this is how personal work works. You cannot just come to a person and say to a person on the street, Yeah, you must receive the Lord. You must repent. No, 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 no. You're intruding. Uh, it's very intrusive. You're intruding into that person's personal space. So this is how it works. A person came to me and he said, have you got a match for me there? I said, God is a good match for you. You and God together can go through the battles of life. Another person came to me and said, don't you have some chains here for me? I said, the only chains I have is the chains the Lord brought in my life. He can change your life too. Things like that. And that is what, uh, uh, according to the scripture, you captivate the thoughts uh, uh, of the person. You're not intrusive in that way. You're not interfering in the person's personal life or space because you're engaging him because he asks you something and you're using that channel of communication to communicate the uh, gospel to him. Then the next book I read was a book about prayer, E.M. Bounds. I've read many books about prayer, but this one is very thorough and very comprehensive. E.M. Bounds, he writes on prayer. Then I read another uh, a book about prayer. Is His name was Hyde, H-Y-D-E. This man prayed. He prayed night and day. They said he prayed so much, so intensely. The doctors, he went to the doctor one day, wasn't feeling well. The doctor said that your heart had shifted to one side. That's how intensely that man prayed. And all this reading about prayer and personal work made me a personal worker. Reading about prayer, I developed the spirit of prayer. So even today, they call me Brother Prayer in the community. I'm known as Brother Prayer. In Afrikaans, Brubut. So <clears throat> this is what happened in my life. Then the one that really that pushed me into the ministry to really preach the gospel 
was I used to go to the Sunday school book room. It's a shop in Cape Town, Strand Street, in the arcade. And I would always buy some books about Christianity, about being saved, born again, because I was now hungry for God. And then they used to sell these small booklets. It was the, about the size of a credit card, but it was in a cartoon format. And there I read this one book, which is called uh, Why No Revival? Why Revival, Terry? And it says there, the, the reason there's no revival in many churches is because they spend a lot of time doing choir practice, but very little time praying. Or there's racial hatred amongst the different races, even amongst Christians. Or, like they spoke, the communist guy said, I can't believe you Christians because you spend too little. You're not so dedicated to your cause as we are to our cause. If I could see you being more dedicated to your cause as a Christian, then maybe I would become a Christian too, the communist guy said. But then I read a little story of a girl who was 12 years old. It says she was preaching the gospel, walking over the hills and the farms in Mexico, going from place to place, distributing tracts, religious tracts with a message on it. Many times children, young people who cannot, don't know how to preach the gospel, but they distribute tracts with a message on it. And when I read about this girl, she was suffering from malnutrition and she was in prison too. They persecuted her for preaching the gospel. And I thought, this girl is 12 years old and I was 20 years old at that time. She's 12 and I'm 20 and I'm doing nothing for God. And immediately I went home, freshened up, went to the nearest farms, started to knock at the doors of the people who lived on the farms farm workers and started to testify to them. The first testimony I was shivering, I was nervous. I just said good day, good morning, I just like to tell you about the, what the Lord did in my life. He saved my soul. He can save yours too. Went to the next house. Every next time next house I went to I had greater boldness. And eventually the third house I came to the old lady said, my husband is also born again Christian. And as I turned around, he was standing there, greeted me, and he said, he's going with me, and we went. So for the next weekend, it was a long weekend, I went to him, and we went to go and preach the gospel further. And seven souls gave their hearts to Jesus, but he was the experienced one, and he had a healing hand. When he would pray for the sick, the sick would be healed. And he used to sing that song, God is moving by his spirit, moving all over the earth. Signs and wonders when God moveth, move, O Lord, in me. And eventually, he took me to another friend who had the amplifiers and the mics and the speakers and everything. And we went out to preach, three of us. Then they took me to another guy who was a backslider. And he gave his heart to Jesus and we as a team. We all belonged to our own churches. But in our spare time and on holidays, we would go out and stand on the fields and corners in the communities and preach the gospel. And then I would go to the hospital, pray for the sick in the hospital, read the scripture, take their address. When they're out of hospital, uh, go to their home and, and go and pray for them, invite them to church or ask for an open door. We can have a cottage meeting there and people got saved. So. I used to work six to 
my shift was six o'clock to two. On the train, I would get up and preach the gospel on the train. When I got to Cape Town to the parade, the town square there opposite the city hall, I would preach the gospel there before going to work. I would run to the next square, Green Market Square, and stand there and preach the gospel there before I went to work. And again, after work, because I worked six two, after work I would go and in the community and distribute tracts, greet the people and speak to the people who are standing by the gates. And sometimes the people would invite me into their homes and say, can you come say a prayer for me, for my son or my grandchild or my husband or my wife or somebody. And that's how I, I, I started to preach the gospel. And that's how uh, I got saved. And eventually I met another brother at the parade. He was drinking a cold drink there by the by the, the cubicle. It's these stores, like the people where they sell these stores, it's like a mobile where you can buy a cold drink or a burger or a hot dog or something. And I met him and we started to chat and he took me to his home and we started to sing and fellowship and eventually we started a prayer group. We started every Friday we would pray from 10 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the morning. From 10 o'clock until 12 o'clock we would have a service. We would we would don't have one preacher. We would share with one another. Like 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 says, When you get together, the one has a psalm, the one has a teaching, the one has a tongue, the one has an interpretation. Let everything be done unto edification. It means there's not one preacher. So everybody, we started to sing and praise and worship, and then we would open it for sharing. And one would read a scripture, Someone else would give a testimony. Someone else will expound the word of God. Another one would read a psalm and so forth. And, and, and uh, another one would sing a solo or some would sing a duet. Or, and, and that's between 10 and 12. 12 o'clock we would take a break and we would take a, a, a page and turn it on its uh, like a, in the landscape format. And we draw columns there and say, unsaved at the top, saved, uh, unemployed, prisoners, sick, needs, and so forth. And we would put the names, we would send it around to the group, and each one would put a name under given heading. Those who need prayer for a house, prayer for, who are in prison, prayer for deliverance, prayer for healing, prayer for provision, or prayer for their marriage, or for the unsaved or the backslider. And then we would sing another song again and we'd all go on your knees in a circle on a big carpet and then we would send it around and whoever gets the, the page first would decide he's maybe going to pray for the backsliders. And as he prayed, we all agree. Because the Bible says, where two, of you, two or more of you agree pertaining to any matter, it shall be done. Yes, your prayer is effective on its own too. But sometimes there's more power when there's the, the power of agreement because oftentimes the person who's praying for someone may not always have that faith to trust and believe God for that miracle. So this is what happened. We would send it round and then after about uh, 15 minutes we would start uh, singing again and maybe have a coffee break. And after that 
And during the coffee break, we would encourage one another and share again, just chat. Sometimes you would get a prophecy. Sometimes someone would see a vision. It was very exciting. But at the end of the day, all of those people who prayed with us the whole night, every Friday, they became pastors, evangelists. They traveled overseas, became missionaries. Uh, some of them even prayed at the Knesset at the, in Jerusalem, Israel, at the uh, Israel parliament. All those people, some of them passed on when they were young. Yeah, maybe it was God calling them. And then after that, that was a Saturday morning, we would take a break and rest. And after that, the afternoon, we would gather in the community and then we would have an open air service, stand on a field and give testimonies and preach to the people there, spreading the gospel. That's how we started. But as we grew, some got married and some traveled, some relocated. Like they say, life happens. So that was the start of my becoming a Christian. And then I would always go, I would pray to God. I developed the spirit of prayer because how I developed the spirit of prayer, I had a dream one day. And in the dream, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Thus I'm telling you, God is the real, my friend. Jesus is real. I'm talking about the reality of God. This is what I experienced. I share with you my experience. I had a dream and in the dream I saw a bookshelf in front of a, a shop. And on the bookshelf was a book and the book's name was his name was Reese, and a light shone on that. And I went to that bookstore. I knew where it was in, in the city of Cape Town. I went and as I came up the stairs, it was on the fifth floor in the mutual building in Cape Town. And as I came up the stairs, I saw, yes, the bookshelf. It, they were displaying the books outside the door. And I saw this book on the bookshelf. His name was Reese, and I took the book and went inside. I said, I want to buy this book. When I bought the book, when I got into the bus on my way home, I want to know why is God showing me this book? What is so special about this book? As I opened the book, I read in the foreword, Reese, his name was Reese, R-E-E-S-E. Reese, when he was a baby, an evangelist prayed for him and he wrote the prayer on the back of his photo and said, Lord, one day when this Reese is a, a grown man, use him to preach the gospel all over the world. And he became that evangelist and God used him. But when I opened chapter one, I read there that every morning Reese would pray for three hours from three o'clock in the morning until six o'clock. He would pray for other people. And then after six, he would get up and take a walk. And he would, as he walked, he would cite and quote the book of Romans verbatim, word by word, chapter by chapter. And that's all I needed to know. And that inspired me to start reading the Bible many times over, from cover to cover, different versions. The second way it inspired me was to develop a spirit of prayer. 
And I too, I didn't decide to get up three o'clock in the morning. God woke me up three o'clock in the morning. And one day I read a book about the great revivalists. And it said all the great revivalists were woken up by God 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I remember there was a hymn writer that said, I met God in the morning when the day was at its best. And His presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long His presence lingered. All day long it stayed with me. He says, other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were so distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. He said, you realize if you get up early in the morning and pray as you go through the day, the storms of life that would blow other people away, their ships of lives away, won't blow, will just drive you forward to the harbor of your desire. And so I started to pray also three o'clock in the morning. I would also pray until six o'clock. Then I started to, like I said, study the word, hide the word in my heart, memorize the scripture. I would get a small Bible, walk with it in my pocket. If I get got into the bus, I will start reading my, my Bible. If I stood in a queue waiting uh, to pay at the toll, I would take out my small Bible and read the scripture. That time, in my room, I bought this uh, men-sized tissues. I had a box of men-sized tissues, Gary Player tissues. And I thought, no, I don't want to look at Gary Player and what he's saying there. I took, cut out scriptures from a magazine and pasted it on the box. So when I look at the box, I see scripture. And I would memorize scripture, write it on small pieces of paper, and memorize it, the book's name, the chapter, and the verse, and the words. I would make sure that I know the scripture verbatim, where it was, who said it. And I would try to read different translations of the Bible because maybe the one translation will bring it out much more clearer or much better, better on the ear, like the, we used to read the King James. Now we have the Living Bible, we have the Good News Bible. They're not different. They're not canceling out the other versions. They're just simplifying the words so that people can understand because people didn't understand the thee and the thou. And so that's, that's how I started in this gospel. And then something happened. I'm saved now. Then I started to fast too. I learned the value of fasting. Because when you fast, because remember, you, though you're a Christian, you're in the spirit, but you're also in the flesh of body. Because if you read chapter 7 of Romans, it says there's always a war between your flesh and the spirit. The spirit is fighting against the flesh. The flesh is fighting against the spirit. So how do you mortify the flesh? How do you weaken the flesh so that the flesh don't overpower you and you succumb to those temptations? You weaken the flesh by going into fasting and prayer. You must not only fast, but you must pray also. So many people go into fasting and then they watch their soapies. Many people go into fasting and then they gossip. Many people go into fasting and they, they carnal. And they, they want to 
No, why doesn't my fasting work? Why isn't why some people fast in the beginning of the year for 21 days from 6 to 6? I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not criticizing that. I'm talking about and and but you see no change. Or the people themselves say that seems this fasting don't work because I'm fasting 21 days with the church or 40 days with the church, but nothing seems to change for me and my family. <coughs> because maybe you're just fasting, but you're not praying. The Bible talks about fasting and prayer. And maybe you're fasting, but you're still holding a grudge against someone. Or maybe you're fasting, but you're still bitter towards someone. There's still resentment in your heart. There's still unforgiveness. So all these things negate your fasting and your prayer. You see? And so God showed me a scripture in the book of Isaiah 58. God says, is this not the fast that I, that I require? Is that, this not the fast that I want? He says, because when, when you go into fasting, you're pointing a finger, you're judging, you're criticizing. When you point a finger, you are oppressing your staff. You're arguing with your colleagues. He says, that is not the kind of fast I want. God said, the fast I want is that you break your bread with the one who's hungry. Share your bread with the one who's hungry. This is the fast I want. Give some clothing to the person who don't have clothes. Bring someone into your home who don't have a place to stay. That's what God says. You can read about it, Isaiah 58, chapter 58. And I started to apply that. That is called the fast of righteousness. But I also did the fast by abstaining from, from food, from eating. Sometimes I would fast four days a week, four, four. Sometimes I would fast one day. Sometimes I would fast three days. But the fast that I really apply in my life is the fast of righteousness. By doing good to people, breaking bread, sharing clothing, giving a shelter. I brought people into my home to come and stay there, gave them a place to stay, picked people up on the road to come and stay in my home. We took food to the homeless. I said to my friends, let's make food soup in the winter. Let's get blankets and take it to those people who sleep on the streets. The fast of righteousness. And he said, when you do this fast, the fast of righteousness, you shall call and God will say, here I am. And he says, the glory of the Lord will rise up over you. And he says, your health will come like a stream. And that's why as I'm speaking to you now, I have not been to a doctor, nor to a hospital, nor to a pharmacy, nor used medicine or capsules or injections for 40 years. I'm healthy. And I believe it is linked to that, the fast of righteousness. Forgive people. Don't bear grudge. Don't have resentment. Sometimes people have resentment against their mother who passed on already or their father or their husband or their child. They're still bitter. They still talk about what these people did to them. Forgive and forget. Release them. Don't call up these things. Don't talk about these things. Then they have a clear say, I'll forgive but I won't forget. 
That's not scriptural. You want other people not to talk about your stuff, but you want to talk about other people's stuff. So then I went into that fast. <clears throat> I did fast by abstaining from food. I remember working at a place, tea time and lunch time, I would go and sit one side to pray and to read the scripture. And the staff complained to the boss. They said, sir, you must speak to him. He doesn't eat. Then I was on a fast for four days. They said he doesn't eat. And the boss called me in. He said, Henry, you must eat. You're working here. You're working every day. If you work, you must eat. So get strength. <laughs> but God is our sustainer. When we are weak, we are strong because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so what happened? The Lord had a purpose with my life. I remember when I was training, we used to train on the mountain. I would train, run up the side of the mountain like 11 degrees incline. And my friend worked at one place and me at another. I said, let's meet after work and run up the mountain for stamina. And I came there before him and did my amount of laps. And he, I waited for him. He never came. That time there was no cell phones. He never came. And then the mountain shook unto me, under me. And it shook. And a voice said, go home because he is not coming. He also lived with us. He was a boarder there by us. And when I got home, he was there. Wow, that's amazing. And I was not even saved that time. So here, this is, we, I'm going deep now. Now I'm going deep. This is deep now. So remember I met the man on the farm who went with me and we prayed and we preached the gospel and seven souls came to the Lord. One day I was living about five miles away from him. One day when I was praying, I heard a voice say to me, it was on a Friday, pack some groceries. Pack some groceries, some food in a bag and take it to him, to them. They don't have food. And I, <clears throat> this voice said that to me. And I said, but it's Friday. That time everybody got paid on a Friday. I said, but it's Friday and I know he works. So he would have money and they would have food. And the voice said again to me, pack some food into a bag and take it to them. They need food. So I, the Bible says, test the spirit. So I'm testing this voice. And I packed the food and went there. When I got there, my friend, had, he was out of work for a few days. He had lost his job. And there was no food in the house. That's how it started. Then afterwards, I had dreams. And in the dream, I would see me going to a certain person. And I hear the words that I'm saying to that person in the dream. And I went to these people in real time, and it was so. Then after that, I would get a word which we call, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's called a word of knowledge. I got a word of knowledge. I would come into a church, and, and God would give me a word of knowledge. I said, there's a man here in this church this morning. He said to his wife this morning at home, I'm going to leave you. 
And this man has got stolen property. Stuff is stolen from work on his property. I said, when you come out for prayer, don't come alone. I don't want to embarrass you. When all the other people come out for prayer, you come with them so that no one knows it's you. I'm not here to embarrass you or to show you up. Come when everybody else is coming. They will know you're the one I spoke about. And so when all the other people after the message came out for prayer, he also came and he confessed and he said, Brother, it's me. And he came late too. He came late in church. He came in late. Now, the, the church I grew up in, not grew up from small, since I got saved, they had this, like a teaching. They said, if you come late, if you come late to church, you are late something, maybe you did something wrong, that's why you're late. Maybe you had an argument. Maybe you did something you're not supposed to do, that's why you're late. And many times it was so. I'm not saying this is a general thing, so whoever comes late that you must look at them with suspicion. I'm not saying that. But he came in late and the reason he was late because he had a heavy, deep argument with his wife. And that morning he said, I'm going to leave you. And he confessed and he said he did say that to his wife in the argument. That's why he was late. And he's got stuff. He's a driver and he would load off stuff at home from the work stuff and stole stuff. He got stolen stuff there. That was a word of knowledge. So here I got the dreams. That is what the Bible says, a prophetic, prophetic dreams. I got prophetic dreams, then I got the word of knowledge. Then I got a discernment of spirits. That's also uh, in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, where I can discern what kind of spirit is in this person. Like a person came, came to me, and I discerned <coughs> a spirit of adultery. And the person said to me, I want you to pray for me because I have fallen into sin, committed adultery with my daughter-in-law. That's the sermon of spirits. <clears throat> so because I dedicated myself to the Lord. So what I didn't tell you when I came to the Lord, received the Lord as my personal Lord and Savior, I did not go back to my friends. The ones I gambled with, I did not go and tell them that I'm saved now. Not that I was ashamed. I was afraid maybe if they asked me to gamble, I would succumb to that temptation. I did not go back to the drinking friends to tell them. I would only tell them if I met them like at work or wherever. I did not go to the other friends where I did the drugs. <clears throat> I thought I'm not going to go to them because I'm still new, fresh and young and maybe weak. So I stayed away from them. And I separated myself. I just read the Bible. Read the Bible. Go to church. Sing. And, I, and when I'm at home alone, I would sing. Pray. Meditate on the Word. Go out. Preach the Gospel. Speak to people. Visit the hospitals. Visit the people in the community. Work for the Lord. The hymn writer said, let us work. Labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us tell of all his wondrous love and care. Praise the Lord. And so, as life progressed, I started to speak in tongues, strange tongues. It's also in the Bible. The Bible says, if you read in the book of Acts, in the Christian Bible, if you read in the Christian Bible, 
in the book of Acts in the New Testament. The New Testament starts, if you have a Christian Bible, you maybe go to the library or borrow one. The Christian Bible starts with Genesis, but halfway through, you will find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 2, that is where the Christian church was born. The Christian church was born. We're not the religious. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a way of life. We're not religious. Religious people do things to please God. Christianity is God doing something for man. God reached out to man and Jesus died on the cross for us. Religion is people performing rituals to please God. But Christianity is God sacrificing His Son to establish a relationship with Him between us and Him. He already paid the price on the cross. There's no need for us to bring sacrifices anymore. Sacrifices of goats and cattle and stuff and let blood flow. The blood of Jesus flowed on the cross of Calvary. That was enough. The only sacrifice we bring now is a sacrifice of praise, to praise God and thank Him. And Romans chapter 12, also in the Christian Bible, chapter 12, it says, let us yield our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, we sacrifice our bodies, we avail our bodies and our members, our hands, our feet. <clears throat> There's a hymn writer said, I'm giving back to you all the things, all the tools you gave to me, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, so that you can use it as you please. I'm empty of myself so that you can fill me up. Now I'm free and I want to be available to you. So that's the only sacrifice God wants from us is to avail our bodies, our hands to be His hands on the earth, our mouth to be our mouth, His mouth to speak through, our eyes to look at people with love and understanding, our ears to hear the cries of people in need, our feet to walk and go and tell people the, the good news. You don't have to bring sacrifices anymore. Jesus paid the price. He was the ultimate and final sacrifice. You just have to believe and receive Him as your personal Savior. Then you will be saved and then He will write your name in the book of life and you will go to heaven. That's a sacrifice. Only believe. Believe in the sacrifice that Jesus paid the price on the cross. So He already paid for you. You just got to believe that He did it. And that it was for you and me. So all you do, you say to God, God Dear God, I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sins. He sacrificed His life and His shed of blood is paying the price for my sin. Because there is no remission without the shedding of blood. And so His blood was the atonement for our sins. And now you and I, if you believe that, you are forgiven. And your name is written in the book of life. And all your sins will be blotted out of the books. And there will be a new name written in glory. And God will seal you with His Holy Spirit. And that means you're a child of God now. And you take it from there. So it's almost time for me to wrap up. Because I've got a limited time here. On the podcast. So. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord encourage you. I hope you were encouraged and inspired by this. If you are not a Christian yet. Then you can Google and say. 
what must I do to be saved? Or Google and say, how to become a Christian? Or maybe you can, if you want to contact me, you can contact me too. And I can explain it to you further. Amen. May the Lord bless you. And I'm still on this road. It's many years. If you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you don't, won't have problems. You won't have trials. You won't have persecutions. As a Christian, there are three things that will be part of your life. You will be faced with temptation, which is a test. James 1 verse 2 and James 1 verse 12. You will have trials, but you must pass the trials. You'll have a battle because there's a battle now between the spirit and the flesh, between good and evil. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God will not allow you to be tempted above your strength, but with every temptation there's a way of escape so that you can bear it. God's grace is sufficient for you. It's good to be a Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So when you are weak, you are strong. Because God's grace keeps pace with what you face. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. Lord bless the listener. Bless the hearer. Solve his or her problems. Do for them beyond what they can think or pray. Touch him now from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. Bring healing and give them a miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm known as Henry Heatwave. If you want to contact me, maybe you can go on Facebook and message me if you want to contact me. Henry Heatwave. You will see a flame there with hands. God bless you.